Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Welcome to the first week of Days of Future Past. Are you excited to be here this morning? This is going to be great. We've waited a long time. I'm still not over what God did here last week. I don't know if you were a part of it, but did we, we had a visitation from God. It was an amazing weekend. 80 people spontaneously responded to be baptized, to identify and follow Jesus last weekend. Blew us away. And I just want to give all the glory to God. I just want to say thank you to God for what he did. This isn't our doing, and I'm just so grateful and appreciative. And if you weren't here or you just haven't gotten over it yet, take a look. This is a brief snapshot of what happened last Sunday. Take a look. Jesus called the crowd to him with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Hi, my name is Candice. Um, I've been coming to Heartland since June, moved down from Shipshawana, Indiana, got accepted into the program. Um, I wasn't planning on getting baptized. I, I've known Christ since I was a really, really young child, grew up in a Christian family. But um, I was like, well, I need to wait till I have a home church. Got to wait till I'm like married, getting into that stages of life. But as soon as, uh, as soon as that song, I will follow Jesus. I just broke down crying. You know, like why, why wait? I just took that step. So I feel like I'm, my decisions, my walk with Christ is even get stronger. It's gonna be better, and I'm excited and really excited to see what God has in store for me for the next few years. My name is Ramon Davis, and uh, again, we've been coming here since January, and uh, you know, I felt like it was a special morning, and uh, as we sat down, I actually expected to hear the, the book of Daniel start today, but it was a little bit different, so uh, I, I got baptized as a teenager, but I really didn't feel like I made that choice myself, and now that I've been following, I want to get both feet on one side of the fence. My name is Carolyn, and I was baptized as an infant, and uh, I have always believed that uh, Jesus died on the cross and for me, but I didn't always live that, and I keep saying I'm going to be baptized, and today just happened to be the day, and I'm committing my life to Jesus, and uh, I just want to start Anew. 80, 80 people. I just am in awe of that. And you know, there are many people I'm sure that were here last week and you said, you know, I want to, but for whatever reason you just held back or you just weren't sure. And you know what? There might be some of you who missed it. You weren't here last week. Well, 
Well, today's your day. We have the, actually the opportunity for you to be baptized today. We prepared for you as if you'd have prepared for yourself. We have everything that you need. You remember last week I showed you we had T-shirts, shorts, towels, flip-flops, uh, every kind of hair product. Uh, we changed the water. It's all clean. Um, <laughs> It, there's no excuse. We have all the towels. We have everything that you need at the end of our service today if you would like to publicly identify. Because, you know, I said that baptism is just the wedding ring. It just means that one day I stood up in front of some people and I declared I belong to Lurie. And I said, that's, that's what I wear this. I wear this proudly. They say, you can't have this. this belo I belong to her. And I said that. You guys all laughed. And, you know, but, but I meant it for baptism. Like, you just mean you belong to Jesus. And, and uh, you've given your life to him. You stood up in front of some other people and you you were unashamed and you said, um, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. If you want to have that happen for you today, we would love to baptize you as well. And I'd love for you all to get into a lead group and to get into a, a circle where you can talk about the, the, the messages you're going to hear over the next six weeks. If you're not in one, stop at the table in the lobby and uh, we'll find one near you. There's over a hundred, over a thousand people involved. And I want you to be a part of it as well. But let's dive into this book, the book of Daniel. Find, find the book in your Bible, Daniel chapter 1. Look in the index if you don't know where it is, and uh, pull out the notes. And I just want to say about the Bible, the Bible is a book of books. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 29 in the New. And they're not all arranged in the Bible in chronological order of when they were written. Uh, they're arranged by the kind of writing that they are. So the first five books of the Bible are the law. It's the law of Moses, so they're all together. Then you have the books of the history of God working in his people Israel, and that's a whole bunch of books. And then you have the books of poetry, and they're all grouped together, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon. They're all together. And then after that, you have the prophets. And in the prophets, you have major prophets and you have minor prophets, and they're grouped together. It's not like one is more important than the other. It's just that the minor prophets, they wrote shorter books, and the major prophets had a lot more to say. There's probably, uh, you know, 25 to 60 chapters in those books. And Daniel, though, was the last of the major prophets, and he's chronologically one of the last books to be written in the Old Testament. And he had a vision that God gave him of the future that was to come. Now, the last book of the New Testament, uh, God gave a vision to a man named John, uh, a vision of the future that was to come, and it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's so many parallels. God gave these two men virtually a lot of the same vision, and we're going to talk about how those connect. Um, the first half of the book of Daniel is a lot of history about God working through Daniel and his people who were now captives in the nation of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. I'm going to explain to you why they were captives in just a moment. But the other half of the book has to deal with Daniel's visions and prophecies about the future. About half of what Daniel predicted has already taken place. So we have every confidence to believe a prophet that could get a couple thousand years of history right can speak to us about what is yet to come. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen? All right. So let's just talk about where this story begins. Daniel uh, lived about 600 B.C., but the story begins about 150 years before that. And let's talk about a great nation that started to slide into decline. The name Israel means God will fight my battles. And that's exactly what God promised. You serve me, you follow me, um, you obey my laws, I will bless you, I will prosper you, I'll protect you, I will fight your battles. And God was faithful to his people, and Israel prospered and became the greatest nation on earth. But over a period of time, after many years, the nation began to slip. 
end of slide, and there was a shift, and people started to move away from following the Lord their God. And God began to send prophets like Isaiah, 150 years before Daniel, to say, repent, turn from your ways, come back to God. And God took a long time. He sent lots of prophets, but they kept killing them. They killed Isaiah, and they kept killing the other prophets that God would send. And the message was the same, if only you would return to me, I would bless you once again. But the people wouldn't listen. About 150 years after Isaiah comes Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet because he was so sad because of what he saw coming. Jeremiah prophesies the king of Babylon has been raised up and he is coming to take Israel captive. You wanted the ways of the world, God says. You didn't repent. I'm going to give you over to the world. I won't fight your battle this time. And Jeremiah was brokenhearted about that. And there's this famous passage in Jeremiah where he says, Still, it is not too late. Because if my people, even now, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I yet will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So God was merciful and he was patient and he was willing to turn, but the people would not listen. God raised up another prophet at the same time named Habakkuk who said, the king of Babylon has been raised up to correct and to judge Israel. He wouldn't listen. So Jeremiah wept and saw it happen with his own eyes in 605, 606 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem burned the temple, killed thousands of people, and took back 10,000 of the best and the brightest, took them as captures, as slaves. Why would he do this? It was actually a brilliant idea on the Babylonians' part. What do you do if you want to subjugate a people that you've conquered? You take the best and the brightest, those who are old enough to live on their own, yet young enough to still be impressionable, teenagers from the ages of 14 to 17, the elite class, the educated ones, the ones that have the most potential, and you bring them back, you crush them, you push them down, you dehumanize them, but then you build them back up and you train them and you give them an indoctrination of culture and knowledge and learning and linguistics and everything so that at the end of the day, you send them back to rule over the nations that you've conquered. So outwardly Hebrew, but inwardly in every way, socially, mentally, linguistically, spiritually, you have become a Babylonian. You have been Babylonized or something. And that was the plan that Nebuchadnezzar had for the captives of Israel. And that's how we introduce the first chapter of the book of Daniel. As we get into it, we're introduced to the four key characters, Daniel and his three friends, who are trying to figure out how do we keep our identity, how do we live a godly life in a culture that has been designed to force us into its mold and to strip us of everything of who we are and to remake us into the image of somebody that we're not and wants to make us do things we don't want to do. I think... The book of Daniel has a lot to say about the times in which we're living right now. And Daniel's going to be a great teacher for us. Let's take a look. Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Notice the writer says it wasn't, God was in control the whole time. It wasn't that King Nebuchadnezzar was so great, but God says, I'm just not going to protect you this time. God gave him over 
into his hand. And with him some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Which, by the way, the author's just writing and saying, this is shocking. That, that the temple of God was destroyed. That the articles of worship to the one true God would be taken and used now in the, in the, in the temple of a false god. It was horrific. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, note that for later, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, the nobility, the, the upper class, the professionals, the educated. Bring them, young men in whom there is no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, those who are quick to understand, who have ability, that they will serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans, by the way, introduced writing to this world. Um, they had libraries of knowledge. In fact, Dr. David Jeremiah says this would have been like a crash course of MIT, Harvard, Caltech, and Oxford, all squished in. The knowledge of the world trying to be squished into the minds of impressionable youngsters over a three-year period of time. The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine that he drank. Problem. This is the first issue for the kids, for the young men, the teenagers. Um, they're not allowed by the, the laws of their God to eat from the king's table, to eat from things that are offered to idols, to eat things that are not kosher, the first test of their captivity. And for three years of training... For that time, they, might, they were trained for three years so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah that were taken captive were Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And there we are introduced to the three uh, friends of Daniel, and Daniel's the main character, of course. And they are immediately confronted by the culture, being asked to do things that they don't believe in doing. Here's my question. When culture changes, what will you do? When culture changes, will you just go along with it? How do I live as a Christ follower in a culture that's being taken over, that's actually now in many ways hostile, yes, even antagonistic to the God and the faith that I believe in? How do I set my compass morally in a culture that already has so many shades of gray? Will you change with the culture as culture changes and will you ask God to change with culture with you? Which is exactly what's going on in our world today, even in churches. Well, you know, you can't take the, the Bible that was written back then and apply it to today. You can't possibly think we have to adapt God to now. I mean, we have to change him to fit the culture of today. Can't just take it as it was. We need to adapt. What faith do you have in a God that's not... Uh, that, that, that changes. Will you really change God to suit your views? What kind of God uh, do you have? God is the one who says, I'm the Lord. I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. But culture is changing. I watched the episode of I Love Lucy this week on the Me channel that nobody else watches, you know. And I love that. I watch that all the time. Uh, and here's Lucy and Ricky, and the episode is taking place, most of it, in Ricky and Lucy's bedroom. What is in Ricky and Lucy's bedroom? 
<laughs> two beds, right? And nobody's ever in them. They're just there. Nobody knows what they're there for, but there's two beds in Ricky and Lucy's room. Not true today. There's only one bed and everybody's in it. It's like uh, not just the married people, but boyfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend and boyfriend, girlfriend and girlfriend. Everybody's in the bed and culture has changed. It's totally shifted. And I'm just wondering, do you realize the slow acculturization that's taken place? And do you realize how nothing really shocks you anymore? Probably you haven't thought about it too much. Maybe you have. I find most people don't think. They think they're free. They think, well, I do what I want to do. I go where I want to go. This is what I do to relax. This is what I do for fun. This is what I do, I think is right. This is what I think is wrong. This is, and nobody thinks about, you're just going along with culture. You've just adapted along with everybody else. You're not your own person. You're not free. You've just kind of, you know, oh, wait a second. Nobody tells me what to do. I am my own person. I do what I want. I go where I want to go. I do what I want to do. Nobody tells me what to do. Are you so sure? Yeah, I do what I want. See, see, what is it that makes you you? And what do you do for fun? What do you do to relax? You know, you don't question any of that stuff anymore. You don't even think about it. You know, you know in a day and age where you can, you know, you play video games and the video game comes up and you cut the heads off 100 people and there's blood everywhere and you don't even think about it. It's, not, it's no big deal. Darren, that's no big deal. That's what I do for fun. Well, maybe you're proving my point. Maybe you don't think about stuff like that anymore. Maybe you're just not, sh how many of you are shocked by much anymore? The tolerance for what's shocking and the tolerance for what's different I mean, it's just, I mean, nobody thinks about it anymore. But my question to you in this, have you lost your capacity to even think about what's happening to you in culture? I told my kids every day when they were little, I would, I would you know, we'd send them off to school. And just before school, I would say, you're about to head out into a world that's the total opposite to the culture of, of our family. You're going to walk into an atmosphere of unkindness of the blood-sucking gossip, of greed, of, of, of coveting, of selfishness, uh, what people listen to, what they talk about, who they idolize. What's in, almost on every level, it's totally different than you. What will you do? Will you be a leader today or will you be a follower? Will you reflect culture or will you set culture? And that's the choice that I would pray for them. I would say, God, open up their eyes, help them to see, speak to them by your spirit, help them to be a leader today, not a follower. We'd send them off into the world. Still do that to this day, even to my kids in college. In this series, I'm going to ask that you think. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to open many people's eyes to help you think about how you live in a culture that's trying to crush you that's trying to reorient you, that's trying to pull you down, to re-educate you, to sterilize you, to, to deceive you, to remake you into its own image. It's going to be very eye-opening. Because if you want to be a leader in culture today and you want to be a person of influence, if you're going to be like nobody else, you're going to have to be like nobody else. You can't just be part of the pack. You're going to have to be a leader and not just be a follower. And make no mistake about it, this culture is trying to hurt you trying to destroy you. It's a cruel, cruel culture. Trying to pull you down. This culture does not reward indiv individualism like you think. This culture doesn't reward you for thinking on your own. This culture is designed to shame you if you step out of the bounds of what it says is right. It is not for the individual. It's to conform you to be like everybody else. I want you to think about this with me as we walk through this series Here's my, what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you in this series right from wrong. I don't have to do that. I have the Holy Spirit in me, and you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is your teacher, and he will guide you into all truth. All you have to do is say, God, I open my heart to you. 
I will nothing back, do what needs to be done in me. That's a prayer that shaped my life for the last 20 years. If you do that, God will speak to you. You don't need one person telling you what's wrong because probably you already know. And maybe to the degree that some of your life's not working and you wonder why, um, you still know that you don't just need to be told what's wrong. You need God to open your eyes. And you don't need other people telling you. I encourage you to pray, God, open my eyes. I hold nothing back. Do what needs to be done in me because my job is to help connect you to God. And if you'll listen to him and you'll let his voice speak to you, he starts a work of change from the inside out that's so much better than anybody trying to get you to do what they want him to do. So I'm not here to do that, but I am here to try to get you to think and to help connect you to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to let him teach you. Now, I want to talk to you today from this passage about three things. I want to talk about the real goal of our culture. I want to talk about the false choice that religion today offers you, which inherently you know that can't be right. And I want to talk about a better way to live. So number one, what is the true goal of culture? Number one, the true goal of this culture, I just said it, is to take you over. To take you over, to make you like everybody else, to make you think like everybody else, believe like everybody else, to conform you. Not to elevate you as a rugged individual. That day is gone. The goal is total conformity and to make you bow down to the values of this culture. Defy it at your peril, you will be shamed. I want you to look at the cultural modification process that happened to these young boys, and I want the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. Just open your heart. Let him teach you. I'm not going to go into all of the applications. But it is amazing to me when you look at these boys and what the Babylonians tried to do to them, you will see clearly that the goal of culture is to take you over. The first clue, verse 6 and 7. Now from among those who were of the sons of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. So that's, we'll come explain that word in a minute. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and Azariah Abednego. If you watch the Veggie Tales, Rakshak and Benny, right there. <laughs> now... What's a eunuch? I asked my trainer this week, you know what a eunuch is? He says, I don't know, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to be one. So if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. You can look up the details. But here's what it is. It's just a person who's been sexually altered. Gender modification. Very common practice in these ancient cultures and was all about total control of the individual. The Babylonian method was particularly cruel. It was crushing. And... The idea is to dehumanize and control really a premature death sentence. You have no future. You have no life. You'll have no children. You'll have no family. There's no house or place of authority for you. You're nothing. You're not even a person. People mocked eunuchs. You're, you're, a, you're a half person, partial person. You're not really a man. You're a girl. You, you have no you have no real identity. We, we can, we're going to make sure that you take care of our wives and our daughters because we're not worried about you anymore. Total, total crushing of the spirit and literally, physically as well. And once that procedure was done, it's very clear that the chief of the eunuchs now wanted to rename them differently than their God-given names, but to rename them according to the new culture. Now, Pastor Chris Hodges preached a message about this, and he's so good. He explained it 
and I verified it with the Believer's Bible Commentary and several others. And it's just so clear what the enemy was trying to do in changing their whole life, to take them completely over. The name Daniel means God is my judge. I answer to God. The name Belteshazzar means lady, protect the king. And you just ponder and chew on that for a minute. Because one of the attacks that the enemy has on every culture is about gender. It's targeted at gender. There's gender confusion. They crushed him. You're not a man. You're a lady. You're not who God says you are. You're who we say you are. You're not, you don't belong to God. We tell you who you are. We're going to see in spite of the pain and damage that was done to him, Daniel resisted that label of the new culture. And God had a better plan for him and he found it. Hananiah means God is gracious. He's good. But Shadrach means I'm afraid of God. I'm fearful of him. And really, that's the whole message of culture today about who God is. If you think about it, God is mad. God is distant. Take that new movie, Noah, that came out that totally altered what the Bible says about who God is. He's far away. He's angry. He's judgmental. You can't really know him. You're not sure what might set him off. You should rebel against a God like that with all of his thou shalt nots. God is not for you. He is against you, which is a total lie. Everything the scripture has to say is that all of the word of God is for your benefit, not his. It's for your good. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to get angry. And he sent his son Jesus in the world, a father who would say, I'll give my children everything. And he did. He is a good God. He's gracious. The name Mishael means who is like my God, which is an exclamation like, wow, there's nobody like him. There's no one like my God. He's awesome. Meshach means I'm despised, I'm contemptible, I'm humiliated. And if there was ever a message to Christ's followers in this culture today, this is the target. To move you from confidence to cowardice. You are nothing. You're humiliated. You're contemptible. Be quiet. Stop talking. We don't want to hear your voice. We don't want to hear what you believe we don't want to hear what you have to say. You're nothing. There's a separation of church and state. <laughs> Listen, last time I checked, I'm part of we the people too. I do have a voice, but the message of culture is we don't want to hear what you have to say. And I, you're going to find out in a minute, I'm not talking about being rude or obnoxious or preachy or telling other people what to do. But there is a place for confidence that just simply says, hey, there's no one like my God. I'm not talking about putting someone else down, but I am saying it's all right to say, listen, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And that confidence is being stripped away from Christ's followers today by the culture. The last name is Azariah, which means God has helped me. It's an endearing term. It's God is close. He is right there to help me with everything. But the name Abednego means a slave of the god Nebo. See, that's the agenda of culture, to always remove God from being a father, a loving father, uh, and you being a son or a daughter, to make you a slave, to make you just follow rules and do duties, and to miss out on the fact that there is a God in heaven who wants to call you his precious son or his precious daughter. 
Now write this down. It's not in your notes, but here's the thing. The goal of culture, when it's changing all around you, there is a goal. In a changing culture, I need to know who I am. When culture changes, I need to know who am I. That's why that baptism was so important last week. 80 people said, well, uh, I'm not who the culture says. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. No turning back. And I'm going to live for him. And he's going to define me. There's been a change of my heart. I used to just do whatever I thought. I used to just give in to the pressure of culture. But as of today, I want to do what he tells me. I've identified with him. And you see, there's a direct assault on the identity of people today. Culture is literally crushing people, telling them they're nothing. You're just a, you, you should just live for today because there's no future for you. You're a partial person. You're not whole. You're not accepted. You're not good enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not enough. See, everybody's got a label that culture's putting on them. And God says, I got a different label for you. You can't see. Come follow me and I'll give you your real identity back. See, when I was a kid, I had a little label and it was peculiar, weird. <laughs> it was odd. I just felt so like I didn't fit in. My mom and dad are here. They're missionaries. I grew up overseas, and I lived in cultures that I was the only white kid. And, you know, so I always felt like the odd, strange one. I cried one time. God, when am I going to turn black? You know, I didn't know. I just thought it happened, and something was wrong with me. So... So I felt weird and peculiar, and then even worse, I mean, they didn't know. God bless them. I love you, Mom and Dad. They would bring us back to the U.S., and we would have to get on the stage in front of the churches, you know, the little missionary kids, and we had to wear the little outfits of the culture, you know, and it's all cute for you. And I'm up here going, I feel really weird and awkward right now. This is peculiar. I felt weird. We had a little song we had to sing, and the song was, We're Peculiar People. We rejoice when things go wrong. Na, 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 na. And I hated that song because I'm saying we're peculiar. I already felt that enough. <laughs> so I had this, this terrible shyness. I didn't want to ever get up in front of people. I didn't want to talk to people. I would stutter. I didn't know. See, the label the world had on me for years was awkward, ashamed, weird, peculiar. I didn't know that the name God had for me was, Darren, you're not peculiar. You're a cross-cultural communicator. You can talk to anybody. You're not afraid of people. You can just go talk to anyone. You can walk in any room, connect. So God had a different plan for me because he had a calling for my life. This is why I want you to get into community with other Christians. Get in that lead group. Because in that lead group, the label the culture's put on you is going to get challenged. And you're going to discover as we love people well, we love you, we lead you, launch you out into the purpose God has, you're going to discover your real identity, which is in Christ. And confidence is going to come back inside of your soul. Make no mistake about it, there's a war on your identity, and the culture's goal is to say you're nothing, you're not good enough. It's amazing. They wanted to change his identity to control his life. They wanted to corrupt his convictions to censor his voice. But Daniel would have none of that. Verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Look at this. Therefore, he requested, circle that word requested, of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Look at the conviction of Daniel. Look at the purpose in his heart. You can do whatever you want. I will not defile myself before my God. But listen to his voice. You got his conviction, but listen to the voice in which 
he speaks his conviction. It kind of goes like this, like, I've purposed in my heart not to defile myself. Excuse me, I'd like a conversation. I'd like not to defile myself. Can we have a talk about that? I have a, I have a proposal I'd like to make before you. There's such respect. There's such courtesy. I mean, it's courageous to say that, but it's done in such a voice that's, that's courteous and respectful, that understands authority, that knows how to work within the authority structures that have been set up. It's not defiant. It's not running away. It's not escaping. You see, there's a false choice that religion is putting on people today which is you only have two choices. I want to talk about that for a minute. And the false choice is, well, just run away from culture as far as you can. Escape or defy it, outrage. Let's talk about those two. Escape. Some of you guys know this. You grew up in churches like that. You know, run away from culture, have nothing to do with it. Don't listen to their music. Don't go to their movies. Don't do anything. Don't, definitely don't listen to their music or shake, 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 shake it off until, you know, to the world's music. <laughs> Do not do that. Um, don't wear makeup or whatever the legalism was. Stay far. Come out from among them and be you separate. How many of you know that story? All right. And so that was how you escape culture because culture is bad and you don't want to have anything to do with it. And, you know, you have these little pockets of legalistic Christianity and really legalism everywhere that says, you know, be separate from culture. <laughs> it's funny how most of the teaching about end times and prophecy, has nothing to do with what Jesus actually said. It's all about escape. Like, when are we going to get off of this planet that's going to hell? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus, when they asked him, they said, Jesus, when's the sign of your return? And he says, don't worry about that. I don't even know. But you will engage the culture. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Totally different message. And I think, sadly, there's so many Christians that want to hide out in the suburbs or just get away from everything that's wrong with the world. Let's not engage. Let's just escape. Let's get to our, you know, little Christian communities and have nothing to do with the world because it's bad. And decry and wring our hands at the evil. We're losing America. But we don't engage anymore because we escaped. Or the, oper the, other, the other alternative that's a false choice is defiance. This is the outrage. This is, y'all are going to hell if you don't believe the word of God. And, you know, the outrage. I'm offended. I am out, I'm incensed that you would, you know, say such. I mean, you watch the talking heads. And you watch a lot of Christian voices today. And it's all about outrage and offense and defiance. And we will fight for our rights. And that's not, you don't see Daniel doing that. In fact, what would happen if Daniel had defied? What if Daniel had said, you know, the Bible says that we're not allowed to eat this, and I'm offended that you would even put this in front of me. You know, dead. Dead. He'd have been done. And the funny thing that's about it, when you get defiant with culture today, you know what the culture says? You're dead to me. I'm not even listening to you. And so you have a bunch of people talking to themselves with their defiance on their own networks. And you have everybody else going, I don't even listen to that. Am I making sense to you here? Most of us recognize the false choice. And so we don't engage with that. We, we don't do either. Most of you, you just look like normal people. So you're not into that whole, well, we're going to separate from culture. You look like your neighbors. On the other hand, most of us go, well, we're not going to be all defiant and judge and all that stuff. But somewhere in the middle, we kind of miss the conviction part of Daniel. And our, our method is like, well, let's just say nothing. Let's just duck. I mean, let's not draw any attention to ourselves. I mean, what if Danny had just said, look, they crushed us. They're, they're going to win. You know, eat the food. <laughs> just go with it. Don't make any waves. Just kind of go along with it. Don't say anything to offend. 
And somewhere in there is the mistake, the false choices of culture, which, you know, outrage, escape it all, run, or just do nothing. And Daniel doesn't do any of those. Daniel has a better way. Daniel is courageous. Daniel has conviction, but he has a voice. You see, in this day and age, in the culture as it's changing, you cannot afford to lose your conviction, and you can't afford to lose your voice. you got to have both, but what kind of voice will you have? See, no false choices. Daniel says, I'm convicted about this, that we can't eat this, but let me propose a way that will work. Verse 9 kind of explains it. Take a look. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. I don't doubt it with the attitude that he had. There's something about, very attractive about courageous but very courteous people. Every leader can spot them. They can say, now, there's a person that's got a head on their shoulders, and they're very respectful of authority. That kind of courtesy will make you stand out. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, Hey, I hear what you're saying, but I fear the Lord my king who appointed your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the young men who are your own age who are, you know, eating from the king's table? That would endanger my head. Like if, like if I go with what you're saying, but you look bad after a period of time, it's going to be bad for me. Listen to this. Now, listen, watch this. So Daniel said to the steward, look, he writes this, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he acknowledges there's authority over me, but he refuses to take the label and puts their original Hebrew names in. This is a courageous man. Please test your servants for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And for those of you who don't know, this is the origin of the Daniel fast. If you've ever heard of that, you know, just vegetables and water for 10 days. I don't think God cares so much about that today. It might be good for some of you to turn off social media for 10 days. How about that? That'd be your Daniel fast. Just turn off the noise. But anyway, that's where it comes from. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Verse 13, then let our appearance be examined before you and then the appearance of the young men who eat the food off the king's table. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. I want to tell you, there's no defiance here. There's no outrage. There's total confidence in God. Listen to this. We are who we are. We can't go down this road with you, but here, take, take it to the test. You try it for 10 days, and the guy's going, well, in 36 months, what's 10 days? Okay. But the confidence is that if we honor God and we do what he says, God is going to bless us and honor us. We have no fear of the outcome. See, we don't live like that. We don't have faith in God. We think our lives are in the hands of this culture and are not. Our hands are in the hand of our God who has us. But we're not courageous enough to put him to the test. And here's the thing. When culture changes, you will be put to the test. And if you don't think it's coming, it's coming like a tidal wave. You are going to be put to the test in this culture, and you probably are right now. Some of you teenagers know exactly what I'm talking about. Being put to the test every single day, and there's a war, and God's pulling you one way, and the world's pulling you another. And you got to decide who you're going to be, you know. And think about the mocking that came with this decision. Not just the courage to face the boss, but, you know, when they went through the food line. What, do you think you're better than us? What, do you think you're holy or something? Why aren't you eating like that? I don't trust a man that won't eat a good old American hot dog. You know, you know, think of the mocking that went on. But they just said, look, we know who we are. You will be tested. Culture's trying to take you over. 
There's a battle for you right now. Listen, how will you purpose to not defy yourself in this culture? That's the question. Stop thinking about everybody else and how this message would apply to somebody else. Listen, how will you purpose not to defile yourself in this culture? That's what, that was Daniel's choice. That's your choice. That's my choice. And we live in a world where, where, where we have the whole culture at our hand right here every single day. How will you purpose not? It's going to be on our wrist pretty soon. How will you purpose not to defile yourself in the culture we live in? And see, here's the thing. It's different for you than for me. It's different for everybody. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and convict your heart. Why don't you open up your heart to him and let God direct your life and refuse the label of the culture. You say, well, how do you know it's different? Well, because there are things that I'm convicted about today that I hadn't even thought about 20 years ago. I'm just at a different place on my spiritual journey. There was just, you know, I still have the same struggle, but it's just different stuff now. And the longer I walk with God, the more, I, I for 20 years got up and prayed this prayer. Lord, I open my heart to you. And I hold nothing back. Will you do what needs to be done in me today? Open my eyes. Let me see. Is there anything that's not pleasing to you? And I read his word. And over time, God just shows you things. Not stuff that's necessarily wrong, but God says, you know, you don't, oh, that's defiling me. I probably don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to desecrate myself that way. And there's a desire to be holy and to walk with him. It's different for me than for you. But if you'll open up your heart to God and you hold nothing back and let him speak, God's going to speak to every one of you on this question. How do I purpose not to defile myself? And how do I do it with conviction? But how do I do it in such a way that's so courteous, that's so acknowledging of the authority that God's placed in my life? See, this is the better way. The better way is simply to do this, what Daniel did. Don't defy or run, but, but there's a better way of engaging uh, culture and elevating God. Just elevate God with your life. My life is for him. I serve him. I acknowledge Jesus is my Lord. And you acknowledge Jesus. See, that's the fear, right? Well, if I acknowledge who, if I acknowledge God, if I even say I'm a follower of his, what's going to happen to me? I'll be made to look like a fool. You know, see, there's a battle for you. That moment of pressure is going to come. There's a moment where you'll be tested. When the pressure's on and you have that moment to choose, like, do I do this? No one's looking, no one's around. Yeah, no one's thinking about it. Go for it. You can do it. You can drink it. You can click it. You can do whatever you want. Come on, get in the bed. Well, no, I'm waiting until I'm married. I mean, what? <laughs> You're going to be tested. And Daniel and his friends purposed in their heart not to defile themselves and they submitted to the test. Look what happened, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their features appeared better. They were healthier. They looked better than the other guys. I love how the New King James put it. They were fatter in flesh. That just makes me feel better, just reading that right there. I love the way. That's a good thing, apparently. And all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies, you know, they looked better. Thus, the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. In other words, hey, you guys, your way works better for you. Okay, go for it. They won. They, they overcame. They were victorious. But it wasn't just that they won. Look what happened next. The better way is they elevated God. And because they engaged their culture, they stood for something. Verse 17, these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Not just the Bible stuff. He made them smart about everything. I mean, he gave them ability 
excellence, gave him the ability to rise and to be spotted. Daniel even had an understanding of all visions and dreams. And at the end of the days, the three years, when the king had said they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, why not their other names? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and therefore they served before the king. They were selected to serve personally in the king's court. And verse 20 says, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Ten times better. A 10x life. They brought you to be a slave and to crush you, and now you're ten times better than all the rest. The picture, you have no idea the label that God has for you, and it's so much higher and greater than the label this culture is putting on you if you just live for him. In every way, no one was their equal. They were ten times better. And it says, the last chapter, the first chapter concludes, thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. That was 70 years later. Four kings, three kingdoms later, and Daniel was still higher and he'd elevated, he'd risen to the top in every one of those changes of leadership that happened in the office. He was still at the top. Wow. God is 10 times better than anything the world has to offer. Let me say that again in case you missed it. God is 10 times better than anything the world has to offer. You were meant to be a slave of this culture, to just go along, to be silenced, to have your voice censored, to be weak, to just be, to, to reflect the culture. And God says, I've called you to be a leader and not a follower. I have a 10 times better life for you to live. And in chapter 2, which you don't have time to go into today, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he'd already spotted Daniel. He has this dream nobody can understand. He's frustrated. Nobody's helping him. He starts killing all the wise men. Daniel appears before him and says, oh, king, would you mind? He requested 24 hours to pray. And the king granted his request because Daniel had found favor in the eyes of the king. Daniel prayed, comes back in front of the king. You know what he says? He says, king, there's no human wisdom that can answer the questions you've asked. There's no human that can understand your dream. But there is a God in heaven, and he's spoken to me, and he's given me the answer that you're looking for. And he laid out the vision because God spoke to him. At the end of that vision cast... Nebuchadnezzar dropped to his knees, prayed to the God of Daniel and says, Daniel, there is no God like your God. Wow. And he placed Daniel as second in command over the whole nation of Babylon. So he was brought in as a slave, crushed, dehumanized, and God had a different picture for him simply because he chose to live a 10x life. He was courageous. See, the question I want to leave you with today is will you let the world change you, or will you change the world? Are you going to change the world with your life, or are you going to let the world change you? Jesus said, don't let anybody rip you off. Don't let anybody steal from you. Don't let anybody crush you. Don't let it just happen. He said that this way, the evil one, the enemy has come in to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come to give you life and to give you life to the full, ten times better than anything that you could ever imagine. Will you let the culture rob you? Will you let the culture change you or will you change the world? And the second question I want to leave you this with is, will my identity come from God? 
or will it come from the culture? That's the real question today. When people look at you, will they see Jesus or will they just see another reflection of the culture? Last week, 80 people publicly identified and said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And they declared that they were going to follow him and they got public with it. They put on this wedding band that said, I want everybody to know that I've decided to identify with him as my Lord and Savior. If you've never been baptized, then today's your day. Look at what's in store for you. Last verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Sin's power was broken over us when we became Christians and we were baptized to become a part of Jesus Christ. You want to break free from the slavery of sin? Publicly identify Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and give yourself fully to him. Open up your heart to him. Say, God, I hold nothing back. I don't even know where I'm going, but I'll follow you. Do what you need to do in me. And I promise you, if you do that, God will take you by the hand. He'll lead you. A few years from now, you'll look back and you won't even recognize yourself because he's going to change you from the inside out. Do you receive what I'm saying today? I want to pray for you. I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I'm sure I'm talking to you. If you need to be baptized today, don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't say some other day. Don't be afraid. Of course you're afraid. But have courage. Stand for Jesus. Put yourself in the water and declare before others, I've decided to follow him. No turning back. I'm breaking free today. Let's pray together. Open the eyes of your people, Lord. Bind the work of Satan, who is the God of this world, who's the master of this culture, who has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. You came to destroy the work of Satan, to kill, who came to kill and to steal and to destroy and to crush, but you came to give them life beyond what they could ask or imagine. May they see through the mirage of culture in this series. May they see through the lies on their identity. Give them courage and conviction. May they be courteous. May they love people well and elevate you to be leaders and not followers who would live ten times better than all the rest so that everyone in their lives would eventually say, there must be a God and there is no one like him. I pray you'd pour out your spirit upon our church. Give them new courage today. Give them new love in your heart. And if that's you I'm praying for and you just want to give your life to Jesus today, pray with me now. God, I open my heart to you. Yes, God. That's me. I hold nothing back. There's, there's nothing to hide. You see me for what I am. All my mistakes and all my sin, I come just as I am. I hold nothing back. Now do what needs to be done in me. Forgive me. Lead me. Change me. I don't have to be perfect, but I'm ready to follow. Yes, God, that's me. Holy Spirit, draw every person now who needs prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.